Hey y'all, it's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, we talk about the remake of the classic Predator, the MOBA-inspired Cloudspire, a great two-player card game Foothills, and if you're wondering why Vanessa isn't doing this, it's because she's preparing notes for our review of Final Hour. I was supposed to take notes. Welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 182, Fashion. I'm Tony in my home studio this time. And this is Marty. Glad he's in his home studio, so we haven't got to deal with crappy connections. How did you edit out the motorcycle that went ripping by when I was in Plainfield? (laughs) Luckily, the motorcycle went by when you weren't talking. Okay. So you must have been talking about Marvel Champions because I pretty well shut up during that time because you have it down. You've been playing the snot out of that game. Uh, yes, I have been playing a lot. Uh, still no word on when it's supposed to come out. They, it is now October. And as, as of this recording, we haven't heard when the drop date is. People are hoping still October. So uh, we'll see. We know there's a preview of one of the new heroes coming out soon, uh, Miss Marvel. Uh, I'm supposed to play again this week at, uh, at work, but I, I'm ready for a couple extra packs of cards just so I can change some of the decks, but I th- still think it's going to be a hot game. What is your record? Th- that's a good question. So, uh, well, that's why I asked it. Yes. The numbers off the top of my head. I don't know. We can pretty much regularly beat Rhino. We've beat Claw once, lost one. We had never taken on Ultron because I w- we want to be able to get to the point where we can easily defeat Claw and Ultron is the hardest. And uh, Joel Eddy from Drive Through Review said Ultron is a beast. I, wait, I'm confused. Ultron is uh, X Man. Ultron. Remember in the second movie, Age of Ultron, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Wow, you you missed it. You said Ultron is a beast. Beast is an X Man. And I went back and linked him all the way back with, oh my heavens. That, that is good. I, I, I'm glad you caught that. In, in fact, th- this is a nice little segue to uh, a little thing that happened on the last episode that a lot of people brought to my attention and rightfully so. Now, hold on, hold on now. I must say, I was surprised that people listen. It's background noise. How did they pick up on this? <laughs> I, I don't know, but they did. So in episode 181... Tony made a little bit of a gaffe and I, and I made fun of him with it. And here, just so you hadn't got to go back and listen. Here it is. And, but I would have used those. Now they're smaller in size and they have this really nice, but you could use them for anything. They've got all kinds of domination. Denomination or domination. Did you say domination? domination? Did I say domination? Yes. Denominations, not dominations. It's two different things. Either way. Yeah. No, it's not either way. It's not either way. It's not either way. Okay. Thank Denominations. You. Thank you. So I got on Tony for accidentally messing up the word denomination. And I had a good chuckle with it. And then I went on and very shortly after that said this. Uh, you can get a lot of coins uh, stacked on your cards. I, the smaller ones are nice. I mean, they still have a good tactical feel to them. Yes. Instead of tactile, I said tactical. Now, to be fair, Tony, as I was editing this episode, I called it and I thought, wow, that is that is really bad. Do I try to fix it? Or I took your attitude, Tony. Nobody listens to this stuff. This is just background noise. Within an hour after this episode dropped on Twitter, oh, you, you picked on him, but then you screwed up with tactical. I did. I will now eat crow. I screwed up. 
if you listen to this show, it happens a lot. You should be used to it by now. Hey, that's the charm of the show. <laughs> the charm? Okay, we'll go that. That's the charm of the show of how much we screw up. Two people screwing up constantly on this show. But what's what they didn't pick up on was the fact that they didn't mention I didn't pick up on it, which goes to show I don't even listen when we're recording. <laughs> so, yeah, because as I'm editing, I'm like, why didn't Tony pick up on this? Because it'd been a perfect chance to give back at me. It's because like, if his mouth's not moving, he's not listening either. This is true. Who knows? I was sitting in that hotel, and there was so, I was so concerned about that air conditioner kicking on and blowing, uh, you know, like the northeaster that it was. I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. Marty's going to have to spend so much time editing this out. And then uh, the noise from all the planes, I was like, oh, this is, this is a fiasco. Absolute fiasco. No, got rid of the planes, but somehow left in tactical instead of tactile. Now... There's something, uh, this, this is hard. It, it, this, is, uh, this is very hard. I must say this. Do you know what time it is, Marty? I know you can look at a watch, but do you know what time of season it is? Oh, yeah. Uh, it is Halloween month, and I am so excited. The house is decorated. So th- This is my big month right here. Yes, but it's also time to aerate. Time to seed <laughs> and aerate your lawns. <laughs> that is true. And here in the South... In North Carolina, summer continues. This week that we're recording, it will be, okay, this releases next week. So last week, (laughs) time jump with me, everyone. Follow me along. So the first week in October, it's going to be 95 degrees. And we haven't seen rain in almost three weeks here. We are actually considered in a mini drought. Yes. And so I went out. And try to thatch, dethatch, don't thatch. If you thatch, you're putting thatch in the lawn. You're dethatching. <laughs> yeah. And I tried to do that. And I was like, I came out and I was a big dust cloud. Yep. Okay. My mower, my Troy built flex mower was covered in the beautiful red dust that comes up from the North Carolina clay. And I'm just like, this was useless. I knew I couldn't aerate. Next week is supposed to be in the prime season of temperature to get that grass down and get it started before it gets too cold. Hopefully the the temperatures will drop, but yes. So we're we're moving from mowing season to aeration season, but even worse than that is right after that are the stupid leaves that start falling. And then I got to deal with that junk. Which brings me to, I've started following somebody on YouTube. It's called the Silver Symbol. As in the thing you hit with a drumstick, you know what those are. You're a musician. The silver... Oh, okay. The, uh, on, <laughs> you mean yeah. like on a drum kit? Okay, yes, yeah. yes. I didn't know if it was symbol like S-Y-M-B-O-L. It could be either way. Look him up. I mean, it's like you and I went down the No Life Shack who hit a million subscribers, by the way, just recently. Really? Uh, yes, a million subscribers. But he's giving out these great lawn tips, and he has picked up a Walker lawnmower. Okay. And it's a $10,000 lawnmower. What makes it $10,000? It's that good. (laughs) It cuts grass like nobody's business. I I mean, it must have like every bell and whistle on it or something. It has the attachments like mine where it's got a mini snowplow, snowblowers. It's got a rake. He said he got, he's paid for this by going around and getting all the leaves up from his neighbor's yard. And he can do this like every Saturday. He'll go out and charge them. I don't know how much. And that's how he has paid for this $10,000 lawnmower. I wish you lived near me because I sure would pay somebody to do it. I've got the lawnmower with uh, the bagger, but it fills up pretty quick with all the leaves. So it's like one run, empty, one run, empty, one run, 
emptied. Well, I just wanted to bring that, and I appreciate you playing along and putting your mower title. Uh, it's your BGG. That's guild number 1589 for Rolling Dice and Taking Names, where Marty did a recent contest. Yep. Thank you, Marty, for that interjection. I appreciate that. <laughs> I just thought you wanted an acknowledgement. Yes, I did. Yes, you did. And you put in your little banner, you put your mower, I put mine in, and then I've just changed mine to time to aerate. So I'm going to hopefully uh, keep changing that around a little bit. But you got to hit the edit button so that it changes on various things that it shows up. You got to hit the edit button so it changes on the various things. You know, like things on, that on our guild up. where we have our um, our mission statement and yes. our. If you don't, if you don't go into that, save it. It won't change that banner. It's not automatic. Ah. And speaking of games that we got to play recently, which we haven't really <laughs> speaking of, which which we really haven't been speaking about. No, but go haven't. ahead. <laughs> but we are. But we're going to transition. <laughs> so we're just going to make it. Just make it. Just just think we were talking about games earlier. But we weren't. Now, go ahead. Diamonds. Got to play Diamonds again recently. Yeah. So much fun. I, you know, sometimes you just got to bring out those old games. Now, I'm, I won't. You know, Stronghold brought out a second edition of that. Yes. And the cards are easier to read. And, I, you know, I got the robber token, which makes a huge deal in that game. So that you don't have people ganging up on one person to steal from. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a huge deal. And they've got that token included in it along with the rules, which it's not that hard to figure out. But anyway, Diamonds. Got to play some Diamonds. Oh, I forgot how good that was. and But it brought back haunting memories of when Suzanne Sheldon and uh, re-destroyed us at BGG. Uh, yeah, so it used to be kind of like it was this game. It's like we can take anybody down and then they challenged us. And uh, it was a pretty embarrassing beatdown. Yes, it was. And then we haven't played since. Well, I have, you haven't, but that's okay. You did get to play a game we talked about recently, City of the Big Shoulders. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it over to that game day. Did you enjoy it as much? I did. So we taught uh, two new people, one of them. So so you're going to elaborate on this where you wouldn't elaborate about the Ecos. Okay, I'm with you. Okay. Wouldn't elaborate about the Ecos. Ecos, about the contest you ran. You said, yes, you ran a con and you wouldn't elaborate because, never mind, I'm messing with you. I love confusing him, people. You should see the look on his face right now. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, you enjoyed your play with City of the Big Shoulders. Yes, I taught uh, Mark from the Scurry Report and uh, another local friend here, Bert. Now, Mark had been dying to play it after he heard us on the show talk about it, and he missed uh, that night playing. And yes, uh, it is now, as far as like a, a heavier economic game, it is right now my favorite economic game again three people took us about you know three hours but at least i did so much better so the first time we ever played i only scored like a 16 1700 dollars at the end this time i had over four thousand dollars so i played much much better this this time around but yes i hate you uh missed it because i know you uh like that game too and then we followed up right after with another one of your faves sarcasm Ragusa. Okay, yes, and you enjoyed that one again. Oh, yes, I did. Yes. I, I, again, it's one of those things. Ragusa is one of those perfect games. It's like, man, we've only got like 45 minutes. What y'all want to do? Well, we've got this little Euro here of Ragusa we can play in that time. Let's do it. Taught it, played it, put it away, 45 minutes. Okay. Did, how, did Bird enjoy that? Uh, he did, and I actually won that one. <laughs> His first time playing City, he he beat he beat us in in that game. He did your tactic in uh, City, where you just had one company. No, you had multiple companies. Nate had one company. He went that route and did really, and so did Nate, huh? So 
The games I've played, the person who focused on having one company but buying up other people's stuff has done really, really well. It, it comes down on that buy, it's that, you know, buy low, sell high kind of attitude. Did you use that one space on City of the Big Shoulders about just paying dividends outright? A lot. A okay. lot. We talked about we didn't take advantage of that one before. Actually, the last round, that's one of those spaces where you can force dividends to be paid. And you, as many people can go there as they want. We had like five like workers there, they aren't card workers in this game, but you know what I mean by that. And so like five or six of five or six times we went there and activated that because at that point you're just trying to get money out of the company and back into your personal account. I think they're called Walmart associates. I'm not sure, <laughs> but you didn't play with the expansion either. Did you? No, we didn't because it was a learning game. So I didn't want to throw in the expansion, which has uh, some more uh, interesting and more advanced companies that you need to run. Okay. Well, at least you scored very well in that. Unlike a Thursday play of a game we're going to talk about later oh, today. Oh, I hate we're going to be talking about this because I got to talk about just how bad that I did. But yes, yes. That, that's going to be coming up soon. Preda Porter was on Kickstarter from Portal Games earlier this year. It's being shipped now. If you are a backer, you should be getting it soon. It'll be available at Essen. We got a copy. And just uh, obviously, I am in the right field, meaning uh, I should not be in fashion design. But we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit. Which is the tie-in to the show, of course, Fashion by Lady Gaga. I thought you called it Vogue by Madonna. I don't remember now. <laughs> I have no clue. Short-term memory, man. This is the first thing to go. Now I'm confused because before we hit record, you said fashion, but while we were playing Preda Porter, uh, we listened to the Devil Wears Prada soundtrack, which is based on fashion. The only song I knew out of there was Vogue, and I thought, I don't even know this fashion song by Lady Gaga, so why not just call it Vogue? And you went, fine, but it's not really about fashion, but it's on the soundtrack, and now... Our memories are so bad that I can't even remember which one he said and neither can he. This episode is called either Fashion or Vogue. Mm -hmm. I guess when I edit, I'll go, oh, it was that one. And when I got home after our play, Devil Wears Prada was on the TV. So I stayed up and watched Devil Wears Prada for a while. I still have never seen it. Oh, that is such a good movie. Good movie. I, I enjoy that movie. I don't know. Call me what you will. That is that's that's a fun light movie. I, uh, oh yeah, I'm I'm sure. I just I just I've never just sat down. I've heard of wonderful things about. It. I just need to sit down and watch it sometime. Oh my heavens! And we are in such a drought for movies right now. We cannot find anything to go out on uh, the, the theaters right now. I mean, Rambo maybe. I hear uh, I've never seen Downton Abbey, and so I'm not going to go you know check it out in the theater. And I don't know about you. I'm not going to go see Abominable, the kids movie. It's um. It's such a big drought right now. Oh, by the time this episode comes out, I will have seen Joker. And thanks to you, once again, taking me down the YouTube rabbit hole, I was on Wolf Den checking out some Nintendo news. And Bob Wolf, he wasn't, he wasn't the one. I forget who his co-host is there. His brother. Is that his brother? Really? Yeah. Can't you tell they sound alike and they kind of look yeah. alike? Yeah, they do. I didn't, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention. But he did the... Joker laugh. Did you watch that one yet? Oh, oh, where he analyzed the different Joker laughs. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I did. Who's your favorite of, of the five. And just for reference for everybody, he did Cesar Romero. Yep. He did Heath Ledger. He did Jack Nicholson. He did, um, Jared Leto. Yes. And who's the last one? I didn't make Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix. And so who's your favorite? Oh, and I'll, I'll completely agree with him. Mark Hamill's 
it will always be the best, but he wanted to do live action only. Yeah, I was going to say, as long as you threw in the caveat, uh, not including Mark Hamill, because if you did, it would be easily Mark Hamill. Well, I haven't heard uh, Phoenix's yet. I've just heard the snippet on the, the trailer, which sounded good. But, oh, jeez. Well, you think about, I mean, for me, Joker's laugh, whenever someone says Joker's laugh, I will always hear because of how much Batman I watched. (laughs) I will always hear, uh, it's not Sid, it was Cesar Romero, wasn't it? Yeah, Cesar Romero. Yeah, I will always hear his laugh. Now, my favorite Joker will always be Heath Ledger. Yeah. But yeah, that that will always be the laugh I hear in in my head when I when when if I read it on a comic or something I will that's what I hear. You know what? And I I'd have to go that way too just cuz I heard it so much. Now, Heath was good. The worst and I thought was funny was he brought up Jared Leto's <laughs> Joker's laugh was uh uh-huh. <laughs> he had no laugh. It was so. St- and of course, uh, this guy made fun of it on the YouTube videos. Like, just for even forget he did Joker because that wasn't even a laugh. <laughs> so, uh, so you're going to go see Joker? Oh, yep. yeah. Joker Zombieland two. Never seen Zombieland one. So I'll be going to see that. So yeah, but yeah, it's kind of a drought. But we're getting ready to get into the holiday season, so I'm sure we'll get some more out there. Don't look for me for the segue. I've been doing this the whole time. <laughs> Well, you're the one that's like, hey, I said, Tony, what are we going to do in the intro? He said, don't worry about it. I've got stuff to talk about. It's not in the show notes. Just go with me. So I guess you've gotten to the end of the uh, stuff that you're going to be talking about. Yep, I'm done. (laughs) Okay, well, let's uh, go talk about some games we played then. Portalgames.com. Wait, my, my search went portalgames.pl, man. It didn't go to U.S. I don't know what's going on here. I'm all messed up. But anyway, go out to portalgamesus.com to check out all their latest stuff that's coming out. We're going to be talking about Preda Porter. Then, of course, you've got Empires of the North that's out. If you haven't tried it, we highly recommend it. That's a good one from Ignacy. And another thing, Ignacy Marty is such a nice guy incredibly nice guy uh yes he is he is so nice that if you have yet to try his award-winning mega i don't know what it's a great game detective wow wow and and i just want to let everybody know we have the the option at any time to stop and redo these no we're not we don't we don't there's no reason to it's how we feel the requirement of meeting a certain amount of time that we spend on this so (laughs) (laughs) anyway he has released for Detective Natural Causes, a standalone edition. Hey, if you don't have the game, just go out there and check it out. So it's a standalone case that you can play without the base game. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I thought I said it, but you said it better. That I works did. for me. Yes, you did. Go out to his website. Check it out. You can go out for Natural Causes and say, hmm, I don't know if I like going to like Detective. Try this out. I mean, the game has won many, 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 many awards. It's got a squirrely, so you know it's a solid game. But if you're still on the fence, by all means, go out to portalgamesus.com and download Natural Causes. Now, can we talk about Predator Porter? Yeah, we can talk about Predator Porter. So, Ignacy was kind enough to ship us Predator Porter to get a good play in and for us to talk about. He was so kind to us. He shipped us one. <laughs> Ignacy's kind a lot this episode. He, he was is. kind in the previous commercial. He was kind to us. He's kind again. He's just a kind guy. He's just a kind guy. Well, he went on vacation. He got to see his national team play volleyball. Now, I, f- I forgot to check and see how they um, 
ended up in it, but he actually went on vacation not to go play board games, but he went and watched volleyball. He loves his volleyball. Loves he his does. Volleyball. He does. But what else does Poland have sports-wise? Uh, soccer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't follow that. All the people from Poland just like, click. No, no. I, I don't know. I don't know what's big in Poland. I didn't realize volleyball was big in Poland until he was telling us about it and then all the tournaments he went to. So, yes, I follow him on Twitter, and you should too, and Instagram. But I saw his adventures going to watch the team proceed. And his wife, Mary, posts some incredible, beautiful pictures of horses. Just Throwing that out there. Can I ask, what does this have to do with the game Predator? Well, you know, they're beautiful people. <laughs> and beautiful people have to play Predator because it's all about the fashion world. Okay? Oh. And that has nothing to do with anything. Predator is a worker placement game. Just let me go ahead and say, Tony's the one that said he wanted to kick off this segment. So y'all deal with it. Go ahead. But what my point was before you sidetracked me and squirreled me over here was Ignacy being the kind person that he is. He sent us an already open version so we didn't have to hurt ourselves <laughs> with the cellophane. That was so generous of that man. That and, I, and, and it also has a split corner so it doesn't make box farts when you close the lid. And it shows the game was well-loved. Oh, yes, it it was. Because, you know, on the board, there was a part where we had to get out our Sharpies and write in stuff. (laughs) Because it was ripped. So so get this. So let's get the duct tape out too. (laughs) So so we we sound we sound horrible. Thank you so much for sending us a copy of the game. It's very playable or but here's the funny part. It was pre-opened, the corner was split, the board was messed up, but at least he could have put the stickers on the little dials for us. Or punched it. I mean, I mean, I understand we got the demo copy. I'm good with that. I have no problems. Oh, that was just, it was, just little things like that that just make it fun. Oh, my goodness. But this game can be very cutthroat. I was not expecting a heavy, and this is, I guess, is a medium to heavier medium euro, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he says that. And, and I, I say it too. I was not explain, expecting this to be as cutthroat as what it was. And it was so cutthroat, it was really kind of ticking me off, mate. A guy who kept screwing me over. And you. You too. Yes. This game is not for the weak. No, no. it's not. Mm-mm. Hey, Ed, this is the fashion world, baby. Fashion world's not for the weak. No, I'm going to cut you. Plain and simple. <laughs> I'm going to cut you. <laughs> I'm going to hem you. The way the game rolls out is you've got your sales associates. And you have three of them. And you're sending them out into the fashion world to either get you a line of credit which is space. There's nine spaces that you can place them or nine sections, nine areas. You can, you can get yourself a line of credit. You can negotiate contracts, mm. which can enhance your all business. You can buy buildings that can enhance your business. You can hire employees. And what will they do? They're going to enhance your business. Mm. That's right. They are. Or they can go out and they can buy thread, yarn, material, whatever you want to call it, in three different markets. 
Mm-hmm. And really, the, the differences are is, uh, and they've got theme words for it, but for me, it's one cost, the cheapest to the most expensive. And the difference is you get more quality tokens if you pay more for thread. Now, I will say that in the three markets, two of the markets, you may buy them as much as you want of one color. Mm-hmm. And the one that is medium expense, yes, you can buy one of each color, whichever, how much money you have. And then the I call it the I've got nothing else to do because I'm a loser spot. You can pick up just some base money or some base quality or PR uh, in that spot uh, or some trend tokens. And there's one other spot because you're going to have to do something with that thread and all those employees that you have. You got to have designs so you can get new designs, which is, you know, kind of the goal of the game. And there's something very important about these designs. They all go to certain... Oh, I don't know. You're designing for the sports and leisure market or the, I called them the cell phone market because they had a little icon on for the cell phone. Well, yeah, you could, you could, there's casual clothes, there's sports clothes, mm-hmm. there's formal clothes. So there's different types of clothing, clothing lines that you, that you can make basically. In clockwise fashion, everybody will send an associate out to gather up whatever you want. Once everybody's done that, you resolve one through nine. And then guess what happens? The board refreshes. Yeah, do it again. Now, I will say this. At this point in the game, I love worker placement games Mm -hmm. to where you place and resolve at the end. I'm a fan of, oh my gosh, I hate the uh, brain fart. The Vikings game that we play where you roll the dice. Champions of Midgard? Yes, Champions of Midgard does this. You put out your workers, then resolve from top to bottom. This is top to bottom. We played a game called Crisis from Looting Creations. It was the same thing, a worker placement, then resolve at the end. I like that because you have to kind of plan. Like you said, that number one spot was the credit location. If you're realizing, man, I need to buy thread. I don't have enough money. Well, I better go place a worker first because that's the first action that's going to resolve so I can get money to pay for stuff later on and uh, the, the rest of the board. And it also brings that tension to where do I place my first associate out on the board? Because if I mm. choose to bypass contracts, then I'm not going to get the first pick, assuming I'm the first player. And I choose to go, oh, I want to go down there and get that fashion, that fashion design before anybody else, because I need to produce, I need to match these symbols when I take them to the show, which we'll talk about. It's that tension. I, I, I enjoy this part too, Marty, where, where you have that resolve at the end, just like pillars of the earth does. So yes, you and I are in agreement. And another, it's nothing too is with each of these places, like the contracts and the designs, any, all these places are just cards that you pick up and take. Well, the cards aren't replenished till the mm. very end of the round. So if there's a particular card, an employee or building that you want, that'll help kind of build your engine. And, and this has, this is definitely an engine building type game. Once you get everything cranking, then you better go to that spot first. Unless, unless there's somebody named Tony McCree who happens to have this contract that lets you swap places at some of these locations so that he can jump ahead of you. Yes. That's a very powerful contract card. I agree. That was a good one. Unlike Nate and Mark, who had a contract card, or no, theirs was a business because there were some very powerful businesses out there that let you just, hey, I'm going to take all my extra cash and buy prestige ribbons, <laughs> which are basically you convert into victory points. Some of these cards are very, very powerful. And when they come out, it's very important to get them. We learned that from our play. You need to pay attention to this. Now, employees and buildings require money to buy them. So to Marty's point, you've got to factor that in too, because there's this thing called upkeep. Oh, 
at the end of each of these uh, worker placement phases that you have to account for. It's not like they're coming to work for free. You've got to pay your employees. You've got to upkeep your building. Correct. So every employee in every building has a certain amount of upkeep. So when you take it into play, you have a your own tableau where you track how much upkeep you're going to have to spend at the end of the round. Typically, you hire an employee. It's going to cost a little bit more. So you need to generate enough money to make sure that you can pay it out at the end. Now, Tony, I thought this was cool, too. You, you mentioned that those were you pay for, but the contracts were free. What was different about the contracts is those went away. So there had, uh, you had, you get it for a round at the end of a round, it flips over to the back and there's a little bit less of a, a nobility and not as powerful. And then after that, it just automatically goes away. So contracts are temporary where employees and buildings are permanent. Yeah. I was looking for the card that says destroy another person's building because you firebombed them because you were mad at them. <laughs> wow. It is a really cutthroat uh, fashion world out there. Oh my heavens. So you've gone through that. And, and once again, that's the, you got to get out your spreadsheet. You got to get out your calculator because as Marty said, that upkeep, you got to add that in. You've got to add in all the cost of the thread. And uh, it all comes down to, because if you can't pay for it, you the creditors don't come. The loan sharks come after you and they are costly. They are brutal. Yeah. If you can't pay for something, then basically you just got to take out uh, a loan. A high interest loan. A you gotta- high interest loan that you have to pay back at the end of the round. And that will come back and bite you. And we'll come back to that in a little bit because it bit me towards the end of the game. So you're sitting there asking, well, that's great. I've got all that material. Now, how in the world do I earn the victory points? Because guess what? Victory points aren't the only thing that helps you win. Money does as well. So victory points plus money at the end of the game, the one whoever has the most wins the game. This takes place basically over the course of one year. Each round is basically a month. And the first three rounds of each quarter is where you're placing your workers out there. So you're getting employees, you're getting designs that you want to complete. You're getting materials to complete those designs. And then in the last month of the quarter, Tony, it's time to go out and put on a fashion show. And this is where you really need to pay attention, Mr. I scored 22 in this game. Yeah. So anyway, moving on. <laughs> please for the fashion show it will tell you who's going to score first based on either in this category you need to have the most pr those are basically tokens that you can yeah. get through various ways through cards and stuff throughout the game through uh, buildings employees contracts completing certain designs so you would think well did i just make the prettiest clothes no it's how did you collect all those tokens to get to this point that's the engine in this game you're trying to collect all these tokens to make sure that when you go to the fashion show you have the most either pr trends the most fashions displayed the number of cards that you push out or the most quality, you brought the best quality to the show. You had the best fabrics. So did you set a trend? Did you keep the paparazzi happy with your PR? And then whoever comes in first or second, and there's unique scoring methods to that, they will get prestige or ribbons. And you will say, oh, I've got all these. And you put those in front of you because the next time you go into the next month, you will then convert those to victory points. Play four of those and you're done. Yeah. I mean, it is really that straightforward. A lot of people are like, seem we're very intimidated by this game. And let me just say right off the bat, Portal gets a lot of flack for not having the best of rule books. Ignacy has acknowledged, hey, that's one place that we're really trying to work on and stuff. And so four of us 
have learned to play this game. I got a copy of the rule book out to everybody. And all of us said, and all of us agreed this for a heavy game. This is one of the best rule books portal has ever put out. It read easily. It made sense. It flowed. The times that we had to reference the rule book during the game, we easily found the answers. So kudos to the team over there at, at Portal for putting together a really good rule book for a heavier Euro game. Yeah, I've, even some of the cards, we had questions and we just said, you know, it makes sense to do it this way. Well, no, there was an almanac. They provided yeah. an almanac for us, too, that has uh, explains all the different cards and everything. So they have all the reference sheets right there ready for you to go. So for me, the pros of this game is, as we've already stated, the putting out of the workers and then resolving. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the complexity of scoring during the shows and having to pay attention to that. My negative, of course, I've always hated feeding my people. I think they need to work for free. <laughs> the upkeep, but it's necessary in this game because you have to have that risk. So it was that a little crunchy math for me, Marty. I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not digging this. It is, it is crunchy. All of us were uh, like running mental math numbers, trying to go, well, wait a minute, this costs this and this costs this. How much am I going to generate? There's a lot of that going on. It is, it is, it's not really bad spreadsheety, but you do have to do some serious algebra because of that upkeep phase. Yeah. And not being that familiar with the game, I think we let people run away with it based on the d disparity in our scores. So I'd be interested. I'm not going to say that's in that these cards are somebody just did a video on this about overpowered. I'm not saying that. I just don't know the cards well enough. You know, you got to play a game a couple times to see those cards and how they come out. Yeah, and this isn't a full review or anything like that. This is just basically, we got this thing to the table, we're excited about it, and this is kind of what, what we feel about. All of us were like, we, we are ready to, uh, to go again. And Tony, you talked about the fashion shows, and I think this is one thing that's important too, is variability. So the ways that you score each quarter changes from game to game. You have a set of cards that you put out, and basically they're ranked in those things that you said, quality tokens, trend tokens, PR tokens, and number of designs, and they can go in any certain order. And on the first quarter, uh, a card has four line items, you're going to resolve all four. In the next quarter, two cards are dealt, but only the top three are resolved. Then in the uh, third quarter, three cards are put out, but only the top two are resolved. And then in the last quarter, there's four cards out and the top one of each one is resolved. So every time you play this game, different points will be allocated differently every single quarter based on how those cards come out. Now, that's the part I really like, and that's the part I screwed up on. Because this game is about going to the fashion show, completing your designs by buying the right color thread, applying it to uh, the correct designs. When you go to the fashion show, you have to pick a like type. Like this is all sports and leisure. This is all formal wear about uh, putting They all have to match. If it happens to match a certain type of uh, clothing that you specialize in, whether pants or dresses or coats, it gives you some um, extra tokens that you can use. So you really got to focus on this quarter, what's going to score. I've got to get those tokens, and I screwed up because it seems like I came in third every single time, and third gives nothing, which is why I scored 22 points, and the person who won scored over 400. It was 400, 300, 200 to you. And <sighs> Yeah, because, it, it, again, it was, it was kind of a little engine builder, and I didn't have an engine. You guys were generating ways to generate certain tokens, and you guys knew, all right, at the end of this quarter, I'm going to need this. I'm going to compete, 
and this particular aspect and try to get as many of those prestige ribbons as can as I can and convert them to victory points. And I just did a horrible, horrible job of that. Nothing against the game. It's just that's just the way that it happened. Yeah, it's kind of like me with Ragusa. Nothing against the game. I just didn't perform well. I did not understand how to generate the money. And I, I, I'm with you there. Because I did in the first, I completely missed the, the scoring method. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's how that happened. And then I also concentrated a lot on generating money because I didn't want to have to take out those dreaded loans, which I think hurt in the long run. Yeah, so let me let me finish that story. So at the very end of the game, well, number one, if like I said, if you can't complete your upkeep, you have to take out a loan. If at the very end of the game, you can't pay off your final loan, you've lost. You're just out of the game. You're bankrupt. And I, I had dug myself such a hole cash-wise that I could not pay off my loans. And even though I had 22 points, I didn't even score the final round because I couldn't pay off my loans to even get to the show and, and take care of it. So that's Prada Porter. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you this. There, there's uh, Nate brought up a very good point. He said to him, this feels like a classic Euro. And I, and I think it is. This game came out in, what, 2010, 2011. So it's eight, nine years old. They've done some tweaking to it to kind of bring it up to date. But it still has a good classic worker placement game Euro with some economics built into it. Oh, I guess I guess it's light economics built into it in the sense that you got to manage the money. So if you're really into things like, you know, Agricola, Caverna, where you know have to feed people, and you like that sort of thing where you have to manage your worker placements to make sure, okay, I've got enough cash in order to pay for these designs, then I think this is a game that you really like. Now, Tony, this was teased to us. Uh, Ignacy said, I'm going to come out with another game, but it's going to be a video game-themed game. And I was excited about that because I knew uh, I understood the video game market. And I love video games, but in the end, they decided to keep this theme. I was wondering if the theme would get lost. You know, in a lot of euros, the theme just kind of disappears. I think it kind of stayed in this game. It felt like okay, I'm actually needing to create these kind of clothes and get the material to go do it. And now we're going to be go be judged at a fashion show. So I think the theme really worked well for a euro game. I agree with you on that. The theme was there. I, ne- I, I, I it didn't hurt that we had devil rares Prada music playing <laughs> uh, in the background, the cutthroat. I mean, maybe the fashion world isn't, I don't know, but I needed to hire employees to get my PR up or to be able to increase the quality of my clothing that I can sh- then show. So from, from my standpoint, yes. I mean, all I was doing was generating tokens, but I was able to take myself to that and say, oh, this employee's really good in PR. He's out there. He's really pushing the market. He's sh- showing us. You know, it was in my head, of course. And of course, those voices were go- always go off constantly. Um, but yeah, it's I didn't lose the theme in it. No, and and at, let me ask you about the length. Uh, our first game was four players, two and a half, three hours. How'd you feel about downtime? I, I didn't really recognize it. I didn't see it. Because it was you, they're all the one that's taking all the time in the world. That's why you didn't recognize it. I'll admit, I was taking too, that bothers oh. me. When I take too much time, <laughs> it irritates even me. Uh, <laughs> he was making himself grumpy. I was getting grumpy because I was taking too long because I was, because I was sitting there. How can I get the best engine to get the PR, the trends? What do I need to do right now with these cars that just came out that I've got to go through? Cause you do, you've got to go through four fashion cards, four employee cards, four contract cards, four building cards. You got to read all of them. Now I'll admit they are repetitive in nature, but you've got to go through each of those and sit there and you got to think, okay, how do I want to produce this engine and change this engine? Well, for three players, there's only three of each card that's out there. 
Fine. We played with four. If I played with three, I would have known that. Well, no, I'm just saying there's only three out there. And while that's an important thing is because there's three slots out there, each one of those location contracts, buildings and employees. And you go, cool. Well, at least I'll get the the one that's left over if I go last. Guess what? There are some contracts that let you go there and immediately resolve it. And so you may have a worker that you get to claim nothing. Oh, I was going to get an employee. Oh, great. I'm now not getting an employee. Very cutthroat. That's another thing, too. If you don't like euros that have some cutthroat, then you might want to try this one first. But if you're into thinky games where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to stick it to somebody, then you really should try this. So, Predaportal, Porta Games. <laughs> did you say Predaporter? Predaportal? Predaportal. Predaportal. I said Predaportal. Predaporter <laughs> by Portal Games. That's kind of cool. I like Preda Portal. Too much of a tongue twister for me, man. It's going to be out at Essen and it's currently shipping the Kickstarters. You know we love the Broken Token because we love to get our games organized so that they're easy to set up and play. And what they do is focus on some of the biggest games and some of the ones that are most difficult to organize to make sure they can get your time to the table there quicker and back on the shelf just as fast. Including, just recently released, the Twilight Imperium. Imperious Twilight Organizer takes all those bits of that six to eight hour game, organize them easily, get them out on the table, get them put it back away. Real popular game, Wingspan. They have now an organizer for it where everything is kept in nice trays, including the cards and everything. They're coming out constantly with brand new inserts and organizers. So what you want to do is when you go over to thebrokentoken.com, make sure to subscribe to their newsletter so you can keep up to date on all their latest releases. And there'll be an occasional sale and coupons. So you want to keep an eye out for that too. Head over to thebrokentoken.com. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Tony, every once in a while, a game will come out of nowhere that we didn't even know about, that we were not even expecting, that we really, really like. And that's what happened when we played the game Foothills from designers Ben Batson and Tony Bodell from Lookout Games and distributed by Asmodee Games. This is a game that's built in the Snow- Snowdonia universe. And Tony, have you ever played Snowdonia? I have not, Marty. I have not either. And I heard it's like, oh, well, if you like that game, you're going to like this game. Because we like card games. We like train-themed games, and that's exactly what this is. It's a card game all about trying to complete train lines on the table by clearing rubble off so you can put track down and putting stations out onto a line and completing five lines and ending the game so who has the most victory points. But Tony, all that sounds very pedestrian, but the cool thing is for us was each of us start with five cards that all do the exact same actions, A through E. On your turn, you're going to take one of your cards, you're going to do an action, and you're going to flip it over. Then it's my turn. What's cool about that is the front of the card has a really powerful action. The back of the card has a less powerful action, but it's mimicking one of the other cards in your row. So like, for example, A is always taking resources. And on the back side is, is a different letter. And so, Tony, that mechanic part there is what we really love. It's like, ooh. I got to take an action, got to flip the card, but that action's not available to me next turn until I can flip it back to the other side. I I just really dug that. And that's supposedly that's what Snowdonia is all about. I'm still trying to work through what it means to be pedestrian, but that's okay. (laughs) I'll I'll work. I'll look it up later uh, for, and that'll be my word of the day. So yes, Marty, that card action, those hard decisions saying, okay, I'm going to get this benefit 
and then it's going to go to a lesser benefit and I got to flip it back. I really need this one. So you've really got to plan this one out. You've really got to think through it. And once again, I was taking too long on my turns. It was frustrating me to know and because I was trying to play it all out. If I do this, then I can do this. That will lead me to this. But Marty, what I found very unique was how you won the game. At the end of the game, you had to, and correct me because you won, you have to exchange some of your cards and put them aside, and that's how you're going to score. Not the ones in your tableau, but the ones you put a, put aside. Is that right? Yeah, so what happens is one of your actions is actually taking one of your cards from your tableau, putting it aside, and at the top of the card, it tells you you're going to score points based on number of tickets you've collected from each station. You're going to score points based on the number of track you laid or stations that you laid. And then from the market, you pick up a, replace, you pick up a replacement card. So for example, if I turn in my D card for scoring later on, I pick up a brand new D card from the table and put it into play. But there's only a few of those A through E on the table. Once that stack is gone, then that's it. So Tony, I could like take all the D's from you and you wouldn't even have a choice to ever get one and possibly score the one that's in your tableau. Absolutely. And that's one of those frustrating things. You need to say, how am I going to concentrate on this grand game? How am I going to get my points in this? Now, there was another aspect of this game that I really enjoyed. And when we're gathering resources from the stockpile and we're pulling them in, there are white cubes in the bag. It's a blind pull to replenish that. And when a white cube shows up, a guy comes out and says, y'all are taking too long on this game. And he clears the track. You're not making headway. And he advances that game. And that helps open up the board. Because as Marty says, you got to clear the rubble. And if you're not doing that, then the game kind of slogs around. This mechanic of pulling that white and clearing it out really sped up this game. I like that mechanic. Yeah, it's called a Navi tile, and that's actually one of the ways the game will end. If there's no places for a Navi tile to go or you've ran out, that's one of the ending conditions. And the train lines are dealt randomly at the beginning of each game, and it's basically a station and a long line of cards that have a lot of track on it, and there's little rubble bits on each card. So one of your actions is clear rubble. One of your actions is build a track. One of your actions is build a station. Well, if you are able to combine both of us to get track all along the entire row, if we complete that line, once five lines are completed, we end the game. Or if there's no Navi tiles that can be placed, we end the game. So it has a built-in clock. Tony, this is one of those games that just totally surprised me. I had no idea how fun I thought it was going to be. And by the way, this is two player only, which mm-hmm. is one thing I really like too. We finished the game in 30 minutes. I love the card flipping mechanic. Yeah, this for sure is going to be staying on my shelf. And this will be added to my shelf. I have a shelf of nothing but two player games, the Gaferna, the Rose King, on and on and on. For me and Donna Hive, this will definitely be added to my shelf as well. Five minute initiative is complete. shows ago we started a new segment called no quarter required in this segment we are going to give no mercy to award no clemency we're not going to do it what? that's what this is all about give no quarter that's what it means man if you look up give no quarter it means you're not going to give them any mercy well in this case it's the fact that we can play games and quarters oh. aren't required because we're playing like board game apps on our switch hey 
Okay, very good. And you know, and I, when I was looking that up, I said, "This sounds familiar." It's also on Led Zeppelin. Did you know that? I, of course, I knew that because every time I type it out, "No Quarter uh, Required," I think of the song "No Quarter," a fantastic Led Zeppelin song. We've got two games we want to talk about, and I'm going to let Marty, who did a fabulous video, which I still haven't played my term on, "Raiders <laughs> of the North Sea." Yeah, this is by Dire Wolf Digital, and uh, I did a video on this. Basically, this is a Switch version of Raiders of the North Sea board game. But what I love about this game is the interface looks nothing like the board game. Plays just like the board game, and this is a worker placement game. It's a Viking-themed game. You're trying to get a crew of Vikings together to go out north of your village and start raiding harbors and fortresses in order to gain some resources, convert those resources to victory points. Again, it's all about victory points, right? So if you've ever played Resident of the North Sea, this is built all around that, except this game looks amazing. There's not a board. It doesn't look like a board. It looks like just a regular old video game where you use the uh, joysticks to basically move around, place a worker, take an action, pick up a worker, and it's the next person's turn. But Tony, it's the interface that won me over. I love the way this thing looked. In fact, when I was playing it, Adam asked me, is this a video game or is this a board game? I went, yes, it is. And that's the amazing part. He said that in his video also. He did. I watched it. I'm one of the <laughs> you, I'm one of the people who watched the uh, Marty when I played this game it was the tutorial reminded me of the game, the rule books. I was like, "Okay, this is coming back to me. You and I played it on the plane trying to figure things out. Well, what we're going to do coming back from Gen Con." I'll admit I'm still too heavily entrenched in Breath of the Wild to go down the rabbit hole in this game. I someday I hope to experience it to uh, re- play my turn. I'm sure it has timed out since then, but you're right. It is a gorgeous game. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember this game. This was a fun board game. Oh uh, yeah, it is. Now I will say the tutorial is probably the place where I kind of dinged it the most. Uh, Cause once you get through the tutorial, you f- may not know exactly how all the building location works. Luckily there is a help guide. There's a rules guide in there. We can easily go find out how each of the buildings work and how each of the cards work. That's important too, because each of the Viking cards have special abilities on it. But Tony mentioned about playing online and this was very important. This supports asynchronous and synchronous play. Now here's what I mean by that. Synchronous play is, Hey Tony, uh, let's play Raiders. Get on right now. We'll both play together. You're sitting at your house. We're playing real time. You're playing. I'm playing. We're taking our turn. All is good. Asynchronous mode is, hey, Tony, I'm going to create a game. Go join. You can enter in the password. And then we just take turns, just like you do in Ascension, right? You'll take your turn. You'll put it down. Come back later. Check. Oh, it's my turn again. Asynchronous play that you can play over the course of a couple days. This supports both of those modes plus pass and play where you can take your turn, pass it to somebody else, and they, they see their tableau in front of them and can play. Three ways to play and including solo mode. And there's challenges, which I love. I love playing like through the challenge mode. So yeah, this right now is one of my, if not my favorite game on the Switch when it comes to board game maps. But please give me notifications when it's my turn. (laughs) How hard is that? I mean, I'm on the home screen of the Switch. Why can I not see that it's my turn? I agree. And that's where it falls down from like the iOS because, you know, with uh, Androids or iOS applications, you can get notifications when something like that's your turn. That's not in the switch. And that is somewhat of a pain. That's not an issue with the game itself. That's just an issue with some capabilities that they're probably still working out on the switch. Now, the second one, um, I don't think Marty has gotten a chance to play yet, but I have is my, of course, board gaming started when we 
put Pandemic on the table. Okay, it started well before that, but that was the game. Pandemic was the game that really brought Donna into board gaming with me, my wife. And so I was excited to see it for the Switch. I was like, oh, so we can sit here. Instead of on the small iOS tablet screen, I will be able to show it on the big TV because the Switch is docked in, and I will be able to play that. Now, I've never had, I don't have an Xbox One. I don't have a PlayStation 4 or anything like that. I don't even know if Asmodee Digital is offering um, Pandemic for those interfaces. I do have it on the iOS. I was happy to get it for the Switch so that she and I could play. And Marty, other than the movie intro that you can bypass, thank goodness, Mm -hmm. it plays exactly like the game, except it infects the world differently than the game. You start with three in the game and it starts with one. No big deal. Who cares? But it plays exactly like the original board game. If you enjoy Pandemic and you're looking for that electronic version, you may want to give it a try, but it's a costly little sucker, isn't it? I think most of the, well, most of them are. Most of them are like nineteen ninety nine or that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, but I do ask a question about Pandemic because I have not had a chance to uh, play. Is the interface look just like a game board or does it look how they've modified it, it looks like something else like on the uh, Raiders? It's the game board, very bright, very uh, easy driven, uh, you know, navigate. However, moving with the Joy-Con across the map, there was some frustration. Why? Because I'd be trying to go to the city and it was oversensitive at times. Mm-hmm. And it would say, oh, you want to go here? No, I don't want to go here. I want to go back one. Scoot back one. So you, could you use the D-pad though? That might be easier to do. Well, I bought the Pro and no. You can't use the D-pad? You have to use the stick? Maybe. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of something some, uh, like, something like that. The D-pad may be better because you don't have to overshoot. Yeah. You can just, you know, down, down, left, right, you know, using the regular D-pad. So I would suggest trying the D-pad and see how it works. Yeah, I'll have to do that. I did. it, And this is my own stupidity. I, I was the dispatcher. So on the dispatcher, I'm able to move someone wherever I want or... You know, one of the abilities is you can do charter flight or um, direct flight. As the dispatcher said, oh, you want to jump where Donna is? She was the medic. And then use three more actions to move down to the city. I'm like, no, I have that city. I want to use that card. And it, lightly on the screen, there was a direct path shown that I didn't pick up on. Uh, and then I saw it and I said, okay, well, how do I get to it? And I didn't realize it was one of the Z buttons. It was either L or ZL. I don't remember. It was like you could swap your, the alternative. So that wasn't as intuitive, and that's on my fault. I know the touchscreen would be a lot better. Uh, I mean, we won. We played up to four uh, epidemics. Uh, the interface, it was fast. It was quick. I like that about it. But I will say this. For that game where it is all about the anxiety of pulling, is this card going to be an epidemic? Mm-hmm. It wasn't there because I didn't see a stack of cards. Oh, so it just kind of drew it and showed it to you? Yeah. So you don't see, yeah, you don't see the cards and they did this funky animation about showing. But for me, that's what makes the board game so good is you're sitting there as you're drawing those cards and you, and you know, you're not seeing it. It's just not as tense. Does it have online play? You know, I (laughs) don't remember seeing that. I'm sure it does. I didn't pay attention to it because I was playing it mostly solo mode. Oh, it does not have pass and play. But it's a, it's a co-op game, so, I mean... It doesn't go between the two players, and I pass it to Don, and she does it. You have to have additional Joy-Cons. That's common with a lot of games, though. Well, it sucks. I don't like it. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't suck. It's just a lot of couch co-op games, you play with uh, one system and two uh, controllers. Okay. That costs me 
$60 for the Nintendo Pro plus $20 for the game. That's $80. Okay, you didn't buy that controller just for Pandemic. You also bought it for Zelda. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'm, 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 I'm going to go with what I got here. Oh. I will have to say that Pro has helped me. I have I have discovered all of Hyrule. High, what is it? Hyrule? Hyrule. Hyrule. I thought it was Hyrule, but I'm like, is it Hyrule? Is it Highlights? No. I've got all my towers lit up now. I'm excited, man. Pandemic is out there. Asmodee Digital is starting to put out a lot of their board games. Uh, they got a whole uh, studio dedicated to this, and it's just going to get uh, better and better with some of the games they come out with. And now people are requesting uh, for Terraforming Mars on the switch that'd be kind of curious to see how that goes off there's tons of games just can't wait keep keep seeing what they develop for us there you go if you got a switch you can play some board games on your switch they are out there for you and as they continue to coming out we'll continue talking about them in no quarter required where we give no mercy Tony, last year you taught me a game that I just totally loved from Chip Theory Games called Too Many Bones. Uh, this is a co-op game with some of the best components that I've ever seen using these nice neoprene mats and these nice big old ceramic poker chips. I just loved uh, playing that game. It was just 100% co-op, had a good time with it. Well, this year they released a... I guess at, at its core, it's a PvP game, even though they do have a co-op and solo mode. A game called Cloudspire. Now, this game is inspired by MOBA games, which are multiplayer online battle arenas, much like League of Legends, Dota 2, um, etc. Now, Tony, you said you had no clue what that was, right? Yeah, guy comes down, we're playing at the game store, sits down, and Marty starts spouting out a bunch of acronyms. Oh, it's like a MOBA Dota. I'm like, a What? It's a MOBA Dota. It's a MOBA Dota. Okay, sure. Whatever he said. I don't know. Well, Dota is the MOBA. Dota is the original MOBA that came from Warcraft 3. And then there's Dota 2 and LOL. Life Out Loud? No, League of Legends. Okay, which is based on Max Max and Minions. Uh, Max and Minions is based on that. Yes, correct. Uh, If you've never played a MOBA, here's how this game works. Tony, you're sitting on one side of the board of this nice set up of these neoprene mats or like uh, these nice tiles that you put together have this nice board. Each of you have a very unique faction. You have your faction home where it's a fortress. You're going to be deploying minions from that fortress, just like you do in a video game, a MOBA video game. They're going to just automatically start marching across the board towards the enemy's fortress, attacking anything they come across with the goal of getting to the other side and taking down the fortress wall. That is the whole concept of the game, and that's what Chip Theory Games has captured, I think, very well with Cloudspire. Yep. You got to defend yourself. You got to build up your towers so that as they come marching, they get decimated because if you don't, you're in for a lot of trouble. (laughs) Now, you're given... So much. And what was the term to draft people? I, I'm sorry, Marty. I'm, I'm letting you down here where it's, it's not influence where you, you have two chips in your neoprene map that slide. They indicate how much that you can source source that you can purchase. Yep. And then the other side was the health of your fortress, the health of your fortress. So you're given so much source per round. Cause this thing only goes for Four rounds. Each round is played over a certain amount of phases. Right off the bat, I like this too. There's an event deck. 
which a card flips over and it affects the whole board. So you never know each round. Stupid. That stupid event. Yeah, we drew a really bad one that destroyed all our spires. We'll talk about in a second. Then is the income phase where you're basically going to gain source. And this is fixed uh, between each round. In wave one, you're going to get five source, then seven, then nine. And last round, you're going to get 11. Everything on the board is represented by these really nice poker chips that have uh, details about the minion on them, including life, range, any special abilities, uh, etc. Another thing that source can be used for that I did not do well based on the fact I was playing is that you can draft henchmen or uh, mercenaries. Yeah, from the market phase, you can go out there. And each one of you has the chance to either get like a merc uh, to come in and help you out, or you can get a land tile, mm-hmm. which we found was important, where you could put over the top of an existing tile and change the terrain. And that's important because. Uh, when you create the map, part of the rules are as you lay the map out, you each take turns flipping over a piece of map and rotating it and making it how you want. It must have a contiguous path from your fortress to their fortress, and that's the place they're going to march down. But there's other terrain hex tiles on the mats. Some of the uh, minions can go over different types of terrain. So what you could do is you could actually change the path by buying these map tiles during this phase and putting them on the board and change the path that they would normally take. This is for example. Marty goes out and claims a spire in the middle of the board that basically just is sitting there in the middle, pinging people. Bing, bing, yep. bing, 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 bing. I could change it where I can reroute the path so that it completely avoids that. And as long as I can get to his base, it's okay. I can take another path. It dawned on me after we finished this game. I'm like, well, that's ingenious. Why didn't you think of that? Well, real simple. Also out there on where you put the spires, there are landmarks. And these can be investigated by your minions or your heroes. And they are either baddies or they may be portals that you can go shoot you across the map. Um, they can give you health or they can be bombs that blow blow stuff up. Yeah, that was fun. Mm-hmm. And these landmarks are sitting on top of source wells. And the goal is, is if you can clear that, then you can actually put a spire there. And after the market phase, you move into the build phase. And that's where you can actually build these spires or these towers or turrets, basically, that are set up on the board that will automatically fire against any enemy that comes nearby. So you're going to take source that you've accumulated and you can construct spires and have different abilities. You can put upgrades on them that increases their range, uh, makes them tougher to beat, and uh, also increases their damage. Like I said, they just sit there and automatically attack until they're they are destroyed and that's what i was eating up tony with and then in the next phase the prep phase each round you're giving them a certain amount of command points or cp starting with the five and then working your way up to 11 and tony this is where you spend spend that cp on your little poker chip minions and get them on the board and ready to march mine didn't march very far they were picked (laughs) off by your towers it was frustrating oh my Gosh. Oh, but you can also, one thing that's very important, Marty, I mean, playing the game is fairly, like you're saying, it's straightforward. You, you go out, you, you can upgrade. I mean, you can, you can buy mercs, you can buy land tiles. You'll be drafting your units. They march across the board and try to do damage to the other person. But this is where the game really requires you to think through it. And that is upgrading your units. And oh my gosh, there's terms. Holy cow. During your phase, you can also take the opportunity to upgrade a certain ability of your base Mm -hmm. or that gives you the ability to change how you draft people. Certain minions can't come out unless you have them draft. 
there's just all these functions and capabilities in this sheet that's, oh, I don't know, eight by five, that you're, maybe it's bigger than that, that has all these things that you need to pay attention to. Oh, and by the way, each race has a special ability that you need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Each fortress basically has, uh, like you said, upgrade options. You can do things that make stuff cheaper. There are some requirements. It's like, I have to have this built before I can um, recruit this particular minion. And that's different for every faction. And that's what's important during this prep phase where you're spending that CP to get those minions out. So if there's a certain one you're looking for, then you might better have upgrade. You need to upgrade your uh, certain abilities when the fortress to even get them out. And Tony, when you deploy the minions is also interesting too, because they're stacked on top of each other and you stack them in a certain order. So you get the chip of a minion and there's a certain amount of health. You grab poker chips and put it underneath that. And that represents the health of the minion, much like in, uh, too many bones, uh, works the same way, but you stack them together and your hero is somebody that you can control and move anywhere. Now, that's cool. The minions have a guided path. They will take the shortest path to the enemy base. The heroes can move anywhere, and they're deployed at the top or at the bottom. And once you have all that ready to go, you move to the onslaught phase, where these things just basically automatically start moving. Start at the stop top of the stack. You move their movement. Next, a minion underneath the stack moves their movement, etc. And then it goes back and forth. Each you'll move, I'll move, you'll move, I'll move along the way. We'll attack each other, get attacked by spires, and we keep going until there's no minions left on the board. For you, till you got it to my base. And, and, and that's the thing is, is this phase right here is probably the most fun phase because now you're moving back and forth. And like I said, a lot of it's automatic, which I enjoy. I love the fact that some of this stuff's just automatic. That spire is just automatically going to attack that one. Now with your minions, you can decide who they attack if they're in the same, you know, same distance. Uh, with your heroes, you can get in position and do some special attacks and stuff. But a lot of it's just kind of automated. Simple mechanics to play in this game. And so, Marty, this is a, a MOBA RTS. This is how I was thinking about it. I've got to do, just like StarCraft, I've got to upgrade these buildings in order to get to that next phase. And see, for me, Marty, that's where the game is. Building that strategy to, it's a chess game. How am I going to change my strategy to battle you? How am I going to get past your spire? What is it I can do to get past that armor spire that can only be upgraded so many spots? Ooh, that's where I got AP on this game. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I said, there is a lot going on here. So if you get a chance to get Cloud Spire on the table, now it's going to take you a while. And I and Marty did the smart thing. He gave me a faction to read. I did. I didn't do a good job reading. But he gave me a faction to concentrate on so it helps speed up the game. That, I think that's very important. And I will say Chip Theories does have a tutorial out there. Yep. And, uh, and this, it's a really good tutorial. Like I said, the basic rules we kind of went over. It's exactly what we said. You're going to spin source to build spires. You're going to build minions. They're going to walk across the board. They're going to attack each other. The main thing is how the factions work. And I do recommend that if you play this game and you got some friends going to play, if you can get them a copy of the faction sheet first, let them go ahead and be looking over and understand, okay, if I want this particular minion, then I need to upgrade this certain thing in my fortress in order to get that minion, etc. Once you know your faction, then the, the game will move a lot quicker. And by the way, the way the game ends is if one of you takes down the other other person's fortress gate and it has zero health on it the game automatically ends or at the end of the fourth round whichever gate has the least amount of health will be the loser so the winning conditions super simple it's just the whole strategy behind it of 
What am I going to deploy? Well, I'm going to upgrade and then send them on our way. Dice. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Well, I kind of jumped. There, there are dice used in the game. Yep, go ahead. And that was what was just making my... Uh, uh, mm. That made you a little bit grumpy because mm-hmm. dice are used when the spires attack, but not the minions. Right. I, I, and I, I understand that, that, hey, they're they're not smart. They're autonomous. They're just firing. Can they aim very well? I understand the theme of that, but it was... Uh, I don't know. Some of those roles, it, it was one of those games where I, I'll admit th- th- this was a perfect storm of bad play on my part. Kind of like you with when we talked about Predator. This, I did not play this well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rolling dice and I was not taking any names. I was not playing out strategy very well. I wasn't upgrading very well. I wasn't utilizing. Then this stupid landmark blew up my hero. Oh, so frustrating. And I was just like, oh, this game. And, and being neoprene maps, I, <laughs> it's, oh, ooh, ah, this, it's frustrating. Ah, ooh, ah. Hmm. A good game, though. Enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I really yeah, that's kind of different. The minions, you just look at your attack number compared against the defense, and they just automatically deal damage. And when you deal damage, you just move one of the red poker chips that represent health, and once they're all gone, the, the, the minion's gone. Well, but when you do the attack with the spires, the attack number is basically the number of dice you roll, which will determine if you miss or hit, um, et cetera. So the way attacks are resolved between the spires and minions um, are different. Now we'll say this, this does also have co-op and solo options and a campaign mode. So there's a lot in this game. This is a big box, heavy box, and there's a lot going on to it. You can just strictly do PVP or try to work together against certain scenarios, or you can just uh, play by yourself, which I heard is a fun way to play it too. So give it a try. Hopefully you'll have a good teacher. I did. And you'll be able to go out there and and not waste too much time. But you've got to know those factions. It's very important because if you don't, then you're missing a ton of the strategy in this game. So that is Cloudspire by Chip Theory Games. Yeah. Yeah, it's staying on my shelf. Fun game. Fun game. It's October. It's Halloween month. And here in the Connell household, Vanessa and our oldest son, Adam, have done an amazing job of decorating this house. And when we get into the Halloween spirit around here, the games that we love to play are... Wait a minute, I wasn't ready because I was eating our Halloween mix. We decorate the house and we always pull out our Halloween mix on October 1st. Which is, tell everybody, because this is an amazing mix. I got it off of QVC, everybody, like 13 years ago. One cup of peanuts, one cup of M&Ms, and one cup of candy corn. Except we we triple that. We do three of each and we eat it all in one night. Yeah. And that's it. You just mix it all up and eat it. And there's a nice big bag of it sitting right here in between us so that we can munch on as we talk about... A brand new game from FFG called Final Hour. And you may be thinking, oh my goodness, another Arkham game. I mean, there's already so many. There's Arkham Horror, the board game. Which is excellent. The Mansions of Madness board game. Which is excellent. Elder Sign. Also excellent. Arkham Horror, the card game. Oh. And why is it? You didn't say Arkham Horror, the dice game, because that's what they're supposed to be. (laughs) There are no dice in the Arkham Horror card game and when i pulled out the final hour game which is a one to four player game co-op game that plays in around 60 minutes i opened up and started teaching the rules and when we got around to explaining how the combat worked vanessa's first question was where are the dice there are no dice in this game Mm. so any sort of combat or anything like that is not resolved by rolling dice and instead it's just simply done by 
Well, just seeing how much damage you're going to deal to each other and that amount of damage is dealt. Before we get into that, though, let me talk about what the theme of this game is. This game takes place in Miskatonic University. I like to pretend that it's a real place. I love everything about Miskatonic University. <laughs> What's a vacation that you want the family to do at some point in time? Oh, to go to Providence, Rhode Island and do the Lovecraft tour or whatever it is they have there. They have H.P. Lovecraft's grave and where he lived and there's a whole little tour. This just this is a board game that uh, basically all the locations on the board are places in Miskatonic University. There's spots at each of these locations that monsters are going to be spawned at the beginning of the game because what has happened is ritualists have done a ritual where they have basically opened up gates allowing elder gods to come into our world and basically you know destroy the world it's your typical arkham horror theme we as investigators each one of you plays as one of six um, of the more famous investigators that are in arkham horror are trying to determine what were the symbols used to cast that ritual and how to undo it. So over the course of the game, you go around investing lo investigating locations, and by process of elimination, you can determine what symbols were used to start the ritual, and once you all decide as a group what they are, you can say, this is what it is, and if you're correct, you win the game, or otherwise, you're just going to be devoured. Which is what I kept waiting on when we played it the first time. Now, we've played it two times. Mm -hmm. And the first time we played it, I kept saying, where are the monsters? Why aren't we, you know, feeling threatened? It just seemed very easy. You just, you just okay, I'm going to do away with the monster here. And there were no monsters coming out to get us. And the game ended. And we were like, well, what? What was that about? But then we found out something. Marty taught the rules wrong. <laughs> and, uh, now, was I, I don't know, but it, isn't that a common thing? Do, do I remember hearing this somewhere before that you often no. do the rules wrong? You don't listen to our show that much. I'm sure you... Well, I'm it. just speaking from the family <laughs> point of view. <laughs> yes, there's a very important part at the end of every round where monsters are spawned on the board. And I, I, I kind of forgot that, uh, that part. So that's why I said, Vanessa, let's play again. You and I sat down and played a two-player game of this. We did. We played it that first time, and I thought, well, you know, it felt familiar a little bit. It was okay, much like you go on a first blind date, and, and it was okay, but you just don't hit it off. Mm -hmm. And then you go out on a second date just because, just because, and then you find out maybe you have more in common than you thought you had the conversation got really good and after that second date you're like wow I, I really like this person that's the way it was the second time we, we played were never it, playing final hour again why it was good <laughs> no, just, it's just like it's like it's a date i like this i, want out this, I like this person <laughs> well really because you that one rule that you left yeah. out made a big difference yep so when we played it when you play it correctly <laughs> it feels like a compact Arkham horror game, even without the dice. Yes. And there is strategy to it. You need to look across the board. You need to see some of the um, monster cards can attack you. And that first time we played it, there, there were Hardly no attacks. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe it was really good because the second time you were devoured and the game ended. <laughs> like, you died. But, he died. But it was it's over. But it was tense. We'll explain how the game works in a minute. But 
if I had lived, we would have won the game. And you said, that's how Arkham Horror should be, uh-huh. where you think you're going to win and the last second you die. I love how it comes down to where you have one or two turns left, and the investigators have almost got it, and then suddenly something from the deep just comes up and <laughs> devours you and takes you away, and it's over. I absolutely love that. And we got that big Arkham feel from a small, compact game. And I say that because the game itself is smaller. The board is smaller. Doesn't take much room. Um, aren't as many pieces. One thing about the pieces, though, we do like the gory hearts that are in the Arkham <laughs> games. Your your heart for your life counts are cute little hearts. <laughs> almost like little Zelda hearts, like in the Zelda game. It's, yeah. oh, it's just like little regular like Valentine's hearts. Yeah, yeah. I, I could have used some more blood and guts, but <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> wow. See, she loves art. It is October around here. Um, so, yeah, setting up this game is really straightforward. You yeah. uh, based on you pick one of the elder gods you're going to go against. It tells you how to spawn and set up the locations. Uh, there are five symbols in the game, ritual symbols, and there's two of each. Uh, they're all put face down. You randomly pit- take two that you're going to pull out, and that's the two that you got to discover. The others are put on the board at each of the locations, and there's also gates out there to where monsters can spawn. So your goal is during the game is to go around, try to clean up the monsters, but then investigate those tokens and by process of elimination, determine what are the two symbols that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And the way the actions are taken in this game is basically the meat of this game. Each of you plays an investigator. All the investigators are just a little bit different. You have a deck of cards. You have priority cards where each of you are going to have four priority cards uh, numbered from one to 30. On your turn, you're going to draw a card. You're going to look at it, decide what kind of priority what do I want to assign to this, a low priority or a high priority, or a low number or high number, because I'll make more sense in a second. You put that face down, and you put the, uh, the priority card face up so the next person can see, oh, okay, I see that Marty played that. He played a really low number. Low numbers go first, so maybe he really wants to make sure to activate his card first. And then she'll play a card, and we keep going around the table till four action cards are played. Now, here's the cool part. The two lowest numbers will activate in order. They activate the top part of the investigator's action card, which is typically something good. Move, attack monsters, repair areas. The two higher numbers will activate the bottom half of the card, which is typically move and investigate, which is flipping over tokens. But... Vanessa, that's when the monsters activate and could possibly do damage to you, spawn more monsters, move around the board because their goal is to move to the one location where the ritual started. And if they fill up that location, the game is over. So there is a bit of that of that tense and the mm-hmm. monsters coming out. And then we also had the gate tokens that were also used to keep track of the rounds. That's what we left out the first time. So each one of those we put out on a gate and we had to spawn, spawn monsters. monsters. Yeah. So yeah. there's three gates out there and there's a stack of eight. And that is also the clock for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, each At the end of each one, you're going to flip over uh, whatever uh, symbol it is. You put it on that gate location, spawn that number of monsters, how many of our tokens are there already there. Once you work through those eight gates, the game is over. So there's three ways you can lose. Go eight rounds without determining what the uh, symbols are. Have that ritual location fill up with monsters when no more monsters can go there. And lastly is one of you die. And there's only one way to win. And that's for you to determine what those two symbols are. Now, Vanessa, the way that you determine the symbols is once you know what the symbols are, then you've got to have the right cards to play. Yes. And that was kind of tricky too, because on the bottom of each of those priority cards is one of those five symbols. 
And at the end of the game, each of you can take three of those cards from your hand and put it on the table. The number of symbols that match on the cards played must equal the number of players times two. So if there was two of us playing, then four of the cards must match those two symbols in order to win. And that's, that's where it got tricky because towards the end of the game, we would go, okay, we need to make sure that we hold these priority cards with these symbols in our hand, but they may be numbers that we want to play, forcing us to play these other cards that may make us take actions we don't want to do. It's Arkham. It's Arkham. It's, it's all about that Miskatonic University. <laughs> That's the way it goes. So one of the things I really like about the Arkham games is all the flavor text and the story and the theatrics and then rolling the dice and the luck of the dice or the unluck of the dice. And there's not a lot of that in this game. So those people that don't like that <laughs> uh, really ought to give it a try. It's probably a little bit more of, of a Euro because it seems like there's less randomness in the game. Mm -hmm. It's a little more deterministic about what's going to happen. Like I said, when you attack monsters, basically one of your actions may say deal X amount of damage at your location. And each of the monsters has a certain amount of help. You deal that amount of damage and, and knock them out. Likewise, when they deal, some of them may deal damage to you. You just take one damage. So, and you know, in other games, you're rolling dice. Did you pass tests? There's skills mm -hmm. tests and all that. And like you said, there's flavor text all yeah, over the place. There is. And, and you love that part. <laughs> yes. This, there's, I think there's maybe like a one sentence flavor text on each card. Uh, beyond yeah. what the explanation of the theme is, you're really just kind of that point going around trying to, it's a deduction game at some point. Meanwhile, while try to mitigate all these monsters because these monsters can move from location to location as they work to that final ritual location. So I think Final Hour is good for both people who enjoy Arkham and are familiar with the characters because the characters are ones that you will be familiar with. Jenny Barnes and Lily Chin and Ashcan Pete. They're all there and we know their, I say we, people who, who enjoy Arkham, we know their backstories. We know those characters. So it will feel familiar, but for those people who don't, it won't affect their play in right. the game. And each of the investigators are different. Each has their own unique deck. So each has some oh, special yeah. abilities. We determined that Lily Chen was really good about moving around. No, she was she was good at fighting. Oh, she, she was damage. good at fighting, yeah. And what's the other lady's name? Uh, Rita Young. Yeah, she's good at moving around. Yeah, and Tommy Muldrin, Muldrin was good at moving around and repairing locations because mm -hmm. uh, a location become, can become damaged. Some of the monsters damage it, which means it takes up a spot that a monster can go. So you're trying to keep the locations void of monsters so that as monsters spawn, they can fill those locations and not move because if a location's filled, Field, they keep following a path around the board till they find the next open location. Mm -hmm. And that's how they work their way to the to the end. Now, one thing that I always say about games, you know, you always say, what are the two questions? Does it have dice? And how long is it? Yep. And I generally don't play a long game unless it's Arkham, which may keep some people from playing Arkham. But this one, we actually timed it. We went through four rounds and we timed and it was exactly 26 minutes. Yep. And then when we finished, it was 39 uh, minutes. Oh, <laughs> because you got devoured. <laughs> yeah, but we were on the we were on the seventh or eighth round. Uh -huh, so we were. even if I hadn't got devoured, it'd have been like five more minutes, and the game mm -hmm. would have been over. Yeah. You can easily once this game is set up and you know how to play two player, we can play in forty five minutes easily, and that's if you win. As with most Arkham games, it may be a lot shorter, just depending on how things go for you. I'm going to say it again: that big Arkham feel 
in a compact game. Yeah. Final hour from Fantasy Flight. If Mansions of Madness and the Arkham Horror board game intimidate you because I just don't want to sit down and play a two to three hour game. But you really should. <laughs> but you really should. And, and, <laughs> and we will. But you want that Arkham feel mm-hmm. in a much shorter time than... Final Hour may be the perfect game for you. Again, no dice. So if you don't like the dice rolls and you want something that's not as random feeling, then this is definitely something that you might want to check out. Final Hour is going to be coming out soon from FFG. Look in your stores. Vanessa, thank you for coming on. Talk about Final Hour. We love our Halloween games. And in fact, I've got one over there in shrink wrap that I'd love to get you to try sometime. Maybe we can have you on in our next October episode. Hmm. Does it have dice? No. How long is it? An hour. Does it have dice? No. All right, you're pushing it. (laughs) Well, Marty, it's time to bring another riveting rolling dice and taking name show to an end. Was it riveting? Oh, it was something. (laughs) I don't know if it was riveting. Hey, it was background noise for a lot of listeners out there. And thank you all. For listening to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, we really do appreciate meaning it well. Uh, those of you in our pod pledge, we thank you for your support. Hopefully, you received your tokens, trinkets, your bonuses, all that good stuff. If you haven't received them and by the end of this week after, well, this week recording, not when you listen. So jump back in time. And if you haven't received it, just shoot oh. me an email. And we'll check into it, see what happened with that. So I hope everybody enjoyed it. Those of you who sponsored the Squishy Toy, I hope your dog didn't eat them. Jerry Reese, can you believe that? He let his dog get a hold of our Squishy Toy. Well, it really didn't have a lot of value. I'm glad somebody enjoyed it. Um, Yes. I do want to send out a quick um, get well to T.R. Knight. He's under the weather. And um, T.R., take care of yourself, man. I I know having a back pain... I know, you know, having to carry this show like I do, I get a lot of back pain. Yeah, I have a kind of a backache on this show right now. Mm-hmm. I say we both, we, we both carry, we understand <laughs> the back pain from carrying each other on this show. I know <laughs> how that is. <laughs> that's true. Years ago, when we first started this show, uh, we started covering the very first Tiny Epic Games. And guess what? Gambling Games is not done as they're coming out the Kickstarter of a brand new game called Tiny Epic Dinosaurs. Tony, I think the goal is, if I understand, is they're going to release 26 games where they're going to cover each letter of the alphabet. So this is the letter D, Tiny Epic Dinosaurs. All right, so we got Galaxy, Western, Defenders. Defenders, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they got, well, do expansions count? I don't think so. Nope, it's just it's just the base game. And in this base game, oh, we, we mentioned about feeding earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tony, this game's about feeding. This is like a small Agricola, except with dinosaurs. It's a worker placement game uh, where you've got some cards set up. You're going to send some workers out there to collect some resources in order to go well, you're going to go get some, collect some dinosaurs. When you get some dinosaurs, you need to build little barriers. You remember fences and stuff like in Agricola and, and Caverna where you got to house the animals and everything? Mm-hmm. You got to do the same sort of thing here with the dinosaurs. I mean, guess what? You know in Agricola and Caverna where they kind of like breed and make more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can happen here too. <laughs> you know in there where the things can like break out and get away? Well, dinosaurs can break out. They can break out of barriers and get away and escape. It sounds like a, a really, really cool game. It only plays like 45 minutes to 60 minutes. And the whole goal is, is you're going to try to get dinosaurs and then 
complete contracts by uh, selling them and making, uh, again, some points for them in the end. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's plant eaters, there's meat eaters. But the thing is, Tony, at the end of every phase, at the end of every round, you got to phase five, you got to feed them dinosaurs, baby. Are there two types of food? Kind of like an Oh, yes. Oh, you got meat and plant. The stegosaurus likes to eat leaves, for example, and the allosaurus likes to eat meat. So you have herbivores and carnivores. Wow. Carnivores. They also like to have funnel cake. Okay. Carnivores. Carnival. Fairgrounds. Carnival. Okay. It's great. It's great. Wow. Yeah. wow. So you after are, you feed, I, I keep, I keep, they keep flying over your head. I keep sending them one line. They do. They, they do. So look, if you enjoy like Agricola Caverna type mechanics, but you want something a little bit shorter form, and you love Tiny Epic Games, and we all love Tiny Epic Games, they all do a fantastic job. Scott Alms is the designer of these. Gambling Games does a fantastic job. Whenever Kickstarter comes out, they always do super well. I'm interested in this one because it's just kind of different than the others. But I understand what they're trying to get at here. It's like, all right. Let's go uh, get some resources. Let's make some baby dinosaurs. Let's feed them dinosaurs and let's ship them out, baby. Now, I wonder, you know how they came out with those uh, meeples that you could, in Defenders? No, I can't remember which one had the meeples where you could plug little shields and swords on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if dinosaurs will have something like that where you can put a little leaf on a dinosaur to show he's eating that. I don't. Uh, Yeah. So uh, when the Kickstarter comes out, you can see all the uh, the card art and and everything like that. But uh, this is cool. I I like the concept of it. Uh, Dinosaurs are a big thing now with Jurassic World and everything. So uh, I I think it's going to be a solid little card game. It's going to be, again, tiny so that you can take it anywhere and play it anywhere you want. So another exciting thing happened to me, Marty. Oh, what's that? A guy I played baseball with. Yes. He was our second baseman, played baseball. We were teeny tiny little chaps all the way up through high school. He is he has won the National League Central Division. He is the manager, Mike Schilt. What? Are you serious? I am dead serious. Okay, yes, this is name dropping, but by gosh, I should drop this name. I I, I talked to Mike, oh man, it's been probably 15 years ago. He used to run all the batting cages here in Charlotte. How? So wait a minute, hold it. 15 years ago and he wasn't even managing then and he's already moved up to the ranks and has a major league team? Yeah, he was He was scout for the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, okay. And he scouted, well, he did, the, he did, he paid his dues. He, he never played in the major leagues. Because um, there's something about his eyesight, mm-hmm. but I mean, he, he could hit. The boy could hit. Oh my gosh. But as you progress, you know, everybody gets better and better. Sure. So he coached in college, if I remember correctly, worked his way, got into the scouts. He went through the various leagues. He coached in the um, all-star game uh, for the minor leagues here in Charlotte. Oh, wow. And so we all went out. Yay, Mike! Yay! You know, he, of course, he ignored us. He didn't, he didn't ignore everybody. He ignored me. But um, <clears throat> that's okay. That's, that's one of those things, you know, where you're sitting here going, that is so cool. One of the nicest guys. That's one of those things where you go, what have I done with my life? Yes, that too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, wait a minute. This guy that I used to play baseball with is now running a major league team and I'm doing a podcast on board games. Yeah. Oh and get this. He's probably going to win manager of the year. Oh, wow. That's cool. Cardinals last year, I think, ended last place. And now they're first in their division. They go against the Braves. And I told Donna, let's see if we can get um, tickets to go to the uh, wild card or to they're playing the Braves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. Well, just contact him and see if he can get you tickets. Once again, 
<laughs> he knows who I am, of course. And a good friend of mine growing up, um, Bill, he's gone to St. Louis. He's watched him play numerous times. I won't, uh, uh, man. So I was like, I wonder if our miniature market contacts who are in St. Louis uh-huh. could hook us up. I know that guy and y'all know, and you, you know what I'm saying here? You see how this is, it's not going to happen. Well, you never know. You never know. You just, you just got to have the right contacts. That's how you get anywhere in this world is, is contact. That's a really cool story. The most famous person I know is a co-host on a board game podcast. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah. Who? Rodney? You. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Rodney. Yeah, that's true. He he. Yeah. No. That's oh, true. I got something else to pick at him about. Oh, you do. You we we're gonna say that next year for Gen Con. We can do that. It's just gonna be about. It's about a chainsaw. Okay. Are you referring to a video vlog that he did where he has some trees fall, and instead of Rodney Smith getting his hands dirty and using a chainsaw and cleaning up the wood himself, he stood back and did a vlog and let other people do the work for him. Is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) I saw that too. And it was like, man, we got such great people coming over and help us clean up this log and stuff. That's amazing. Hold on. Let me set up my camera so I can make media content while you guys do all the work. I'm hoping that he used the chainsaw. Using a chainsaw is one of those, you know how... Tim, the tool man, Taylor, back in our day. (laughs) I love a chainsaw. I love working, uh, you know, cutting up a tree with a chainsaw. I know it's dangerous as I'll get out, but it's one of those things when I crank up that chainsaw, man, I'm like, oh, this is so, just keep bringing me the wood. Keep, let me cut those logs, man. It's it's a lot of power. I thought that was funny too. I thought, oh, cool. Rodney's going to show us, you know, get some footage of him out there working the chainsaw. No, because I was going to get on about safety, his hands, his money makers, all that good stuff. But no, okay. So, you know, either way, you got to keep rolling dice <laughs> and taking names. Thanks again for listening to the show. If you'd like to go follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram Dyson Names. We're going to have our big end of the year contest coming up soon. So you want to make sure to follow us on Facebook. Join our BGG Guild 1589. And if you want to support the show, you can do so at podpledge.com. Let me make sure I got this right. In Cloudspire, you have tactile chips for making tactical moves. Did I use it correctly that time? Yes, you did. MiniatureMarket.com. If you go out there right now, I'm sure on the front page you are going to see a gorgeous new item. No, I'm not talking about the new release of some board game that they got showing up there. No, I'm talking about their board game bags. That's right. For $24.99, you have three options for these board games bags. You have the Miniature Market board game travel bag, you have the backpack, and you have the shoulder bag. If you haven't gotten your pre-order in for Marvel Champions, be sure to get that in. Who knows when that's going to be out there? Also, while you're out there, if you want to listen to us again, talk about it. There is a link out there. So be sure to visit miniaturemarket.com.